This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and irrelevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Well, hello, everyone. How's it going? Coach Scott here, and I am back with another edition of Coaching Questions, and I am joined again today by one of our incredible coaches. Today, I have with me Coach Lisa Kwiatkowski. Lisa, how is it going? It's great. We're heading into a long weekend here, so... Is it a long, I, so you're in Canada? Sorry, we're just I gonna am. like personal talk. Hold on for yep. a second, everybody. It's a holiday weekend for you guys too. It is Labor Day, Labor Day Monday. I didn't realize we had the same Labor Day. Well, happy Labor Day. Same happy thing. Happy Labor here. Day to you. <laughs> um, so Lisa, uh, Lisa specializes in supporting women in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who are exploring their relationship with alcohol, and especially as they navigate the events that leave them feeling stuck in a life they no longer feel aligned with. The whole idea is coaching without shame, labels, or judgment, and it allows her to uh, guide people to find freedom and building the life that they want, a life by design instead of a life by default. Uh, first of all, I love that niche. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. But Thank uh, you. tell me, tell me a little more about it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's still a work in progress as I, as I identify where I can make the most impact in, in the coaching space. Uh, but as a lot of us coaches do, we like to build a business or build a coaching philosophy that we can really relate to. And this uh, I would say really typifies the journey that I've been on. I like to say that my approach um, exists at the intersection of alcohol freedom and design thinking. Mm. And really those two are in really close relationship to me in my personal life. And, uh, or I like to say that if, if three books could have a love child, it would be, of course, Annie Grace and This Naked Mind, uh, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, and a mm-hmm. book that was written by two Stanford professors called Design Your Life. And it's actually based on a course that's offered at Stanford for first year design students. Um, and so if those three books could have a love child, I would say that pretty much typifies my approach to coaching. I love that. I love that. And I love the mm-hmm. idea of books having children. Now you got me thinking, <laughs> what would I like to... Well, I was going to say if three authors could have a love child, but there I felt go. that would be opening up a whole can that of That gets worms. weird <laughs> really fast. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I have some great uh, questions for us to dive into. So let's just, uh, yeah, let's just let's get started. So here is question number one. Help. I've had so many attempts to quit drinking that I think it will never happen. Mm-hmm. I found this Naked Mind, the book and YouTube channel, and it felt like a breath of fresh air. But I feel like I've read the book tons of times, watched every video you guys have, and still, and still, I am still drinking. What do you suggest for someone like me who has been through this process in the past, but never actually made the leap? Mm. Are you sure this is not one I submitted a while ago? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think this sounds straight out of my book. Um, 
Yeah, I would, I would offer, you know, the one thing that the image that always comes to mind is when Andy Grace and, and TNM get online and they kind of have that squiggly journey and we mm. all see it. And I think perhaps we hope that we're going to be the one that that's different and we can take that straight path. That doesn't and, apply to uh, me. <laughs> I would offer that I have yet to meet somebody in the programs that I've interacted with or the folks that are also on an alcohol-free journey that have had a straight path. And I'm a perfect example of that. You know, I started, I would say that I started my alcohol freedom journey when more concertedly when I joined the path back in December of 2020. Yeah. And certainly that year was filled with squiggly lines. And I, you know, had put in this year of investment in terms of time and energy and then, you know, a financial investment, uh, which actually saved me money at the end of the day, <laughs> I was spending on alcohol. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't straight line. And I, I expected that by the end, by 365 days, I would have reached this pinnacle of sobriety and life would be beautiful butterflies and rainbows. And it's just, it's not how it works for most of us, mm -hmm. I would say. And even until this day, I, my, my goal has never been sobriety. My goal is ease. And I've acknowledged that alcohol does not contribute ease into my life. And so, um, you know, I think one of the, one of the things I could offer this individual is taking a look at what your definition of success looks like. And if sobriety is your sole definition of success in this journey, uh, I would offer that it's probably going to be a very, continue to be a very challenging journey for you. And, you know, maybe change the metrics a little bit of what you see as success. And so whether mm. it's waking up one morning and recognizing, wow, I didn't drink yesterday and I feel really good. Um, or that maybe your, your traditional time for drinking is kind of between four and six after work. And you managed to put that off until eight o'clock and you realized you hadn't even thought about a drink until eight o'clock. Um, so I would offer that there's an opportunity to really change the metrics for yourself and not compare your journey to others or to the traditional definitions of what freedom looks like. Yes. Agree to all of the above. <laughs> I want to add to it. Um, one of the things, you know, I, so uh, my story, you know, I quit drinking with the book. Uh, this is before like these coaches, like any of you guys were around or like, I, there wasn't anything else to like reach to. Um, and one of the things that I found in my journey, um, as I felt the same way, how the hell I read this entire book multiple times, what is wrong with me? And, you know, one of the things that looking back, I can tell would be so incredibly effective for me or would have been effective for me is having a coach. And I mean, that is, you know, I, people will write into me, um, answer a lot of emails and questions at this naked mind. And like, that is almost always a go-to when I hear someone saying, look, I feel like I'm going round and round. And like, the thing is like coaches like you, Lisa, like yeah. coaches can give you that perspective that I think oftentimes is really hard to come by on our own. Like Absolutely. for me, quitting drinking, um, going through the book multiple times and the book's great. Like I'm a fan, obviously I'm a fan of the book, but like, I don't know, it would have been so much faster to me if I had had a coach that I was talking to. If, you know, I would, you know, I would spend a lot of time being stuck. Like if I had someone to go to in those times when I'm stuck, man, it is Friday again. And I am like, so deeply convinced that I'm going to drink tonight. 
if I had someone I could talk to, yeah. if I had someone that I could put a plan together with, like it would have made such a huge difference. And like, I really see, you know, with this idea of like, and still, she wrote and still in capital letters. It's like, to your point, this idea of expectation, Yeah. you know, like, oh, I should just, you know, and I had this too, like, oh, I should just read this book and like, boom. And it does work that way for a lot of people. It did. That's, I mean, it was a big boom for me at the end of the book and I didn't drink for three months straight afterwards. Yeah. Uh, But it is a journey. Yeah. And I, I mean, one of the reasons I even got into coaching, it was well before I had started the path that I had started to consider the field of coaching because I was introduced to um, coach Pam M from this mm-hmm. naked mind. And it just opened up my mind to this world of possibility of coaching. And, um, and one of the reasons I wrote down early in my journey was I wish I had somebody like Pam earlier in my journey, <laughs> you know, it would have saved me so much time and yes. so much struggle because someone like Pam and the coaches can offer that, that window into what's possible. And we spend so much time doubting ourselves and doubting that it's possible. And that doubt holds us back. And so when you have somebody that can be your cheerleader, that can show you the possibility, um, it really cuts through a lot of the, the burden of the negative thoughts. And, you know, to this day, I've got coaches around me, you know, in design thinking, you would kind of call that design team. And so, yeah. um, you know, how can you surround yourself with people that are going to show you what's possible? And coaches are absolutely you know, the best space for that. Totally. Totally. All right. Let's go on. I have this habit. I was explaining for those of you listening, I was explaining to Lisa before we got on how like I can like have these conversations go on forever. So I'm going to be good today (laughs) and I'm going to try to move us through. Um, It's it's Friday, Scott. We can take it. It is like, let's go. Uh, Question number two is this. Howdy, I can't seem to shake the idea that once I quit drinking, everything will be boring. And Mm. I hate being bored. All of my life has been wrapped up in drinking, especially my social life. My youngest just moved out of the house for college. And now it seems like the only thing I do for fun is get together with friends for sangria. And that's okay. But I'm really starting to think, is this what the rest of my life is going to be like? Mm. That's kind of heavy. Yeah, I, um, I relate. I relate because I would say that my mid-20s to mid-30s were really typified by drinking. I mean, drinking was integrated into everything I did. I work, my industry is sport. I had an opportunity to work overseas in sport and the culture was alcohol um, around the events. You would drink at the office, you would drink after the office. And it was almost like we couldn't conceive of an activity that didn't include alcohol. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I was under the impression, and perhaps it was true in my life, that that served me. I enjoyed it. I was having a great time. And then I hit this point, I would say, that when I moved back to Canada and really settled in here, where alcohol started to take more than it was giving. And I spent so much time focusing on the the alcohol bringing me socialization and the alcohol being my bridge to friends and alcohol being the reason that I got out of the house um, to what it was actually taking from me. And that flip of awareness was like a ton of bricks Yeah, uh, because I had created this belief for so long and that's perpetuated by society around us that, you know, alcohol is the elixir of life. It's what 
it what keeps us together. It's it's the tape or the glue. Yeah. And it was that flip of awareness that it was starting to take so much more than what I thought it was giving me. And frankly, that was an invitation to a whole other alternate universe of or alternate reality for my life. And, you know, I, a lot of people like to call this, you know, I'm approaching 40 in a couple months and people call it a midlife crisis. I think, you know, it can only be a crisis if you can't anticipate it, which of course, you know, we can all anticipate. And really it was, it was, for me, it's an opportunity for deeper reflection and to choose a life that you actually want a, a life yeah. that you created, that you're the architect of, that you're the designer of. And so I would, you know, I would offer that it's an opportunity for you to get curious, curious about what that means to you. Like why alcohol has such a connection to this concept of being exciting and interesting and that the absence of alcohol will make life boring and to really explore that. And again, in kind of the design thinking approach, you start prototyping, right? Test yes. it out, see how it feels, right? Yeah. And, you know, try, go out with girlfriends one night and try not drinking and say, and get curious, you know, about, am I still having fun with these people? Am I not? Are these people actually fun? Or is it, you know, or do I have to drink to enjoy their company? Um, yeah, it's an opportunity for curiosity and from my perspective. So you point to something, and I think this question does mm. too, it, like, and I want to like get a little bit more clear about it because what I think holds a lot of people back from making this shift from even, you know, honestly, like even trying it out, even doing mm. something like an experiment is fear, right? Mm -hmm. Fear of what things are going to be like fear yeah. of, you know, like how, how am I going to hang out with my friends if we always, you know, have sangria, but like, yeah. that's just, I don't want to say that's a small fear, but that's a small part of what the actual fear is, Absolutely. is that like so much of our lives, so much of our society, so much of our, you know, social connections and celebrations and all of this stuff, like so much of it is surrounding alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so you talk about this idea of like design, like designing your life. And yeah. I love how you use the word curiosity, because I think that that is such an important thing. But I also know that like, you know, I've been in this position before. I also had the same question. Mm. What the hell? What am I going to do? What am I going <laughs> to like right now? I'm more busy than I can imagine. So, and I have zero desire to actually drink. So the idea of like going and sitting at a bar for three hours, like <laughs> I, or six, if you're me is yeah. like, I can't even, I can't even get my head around it, but yeah. I do know that there was a time where, you know, that had happened. So I, you use the word curiosity. I would love it if you could maybe describe a little bit more about this concept of a life by design. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that's something that I think it's something people get, but like, what does it mean in practice, you yeah. know, and particularly for this person who wrote in, like what, what does that mean? Like, what is that process? And like, where do you end up? Yeah, well, I mean, my background is not in design. So I should say that I'm <laughs> not a designer by trade. Yeah. Um, but this, this principle of life by design or design thinking has really, and in particular, this book um, by these two Stanford professors came out of um, this idea that we literally live on in lots of contexts on default settings, right? So we, we accept a lot of the settings that are given to us in life. And we learn about those settings through our family, our friends, our upbringing, our neighborhood, 
um, our socioeconomic status. When I left high school, the only option to me was going to university. Now, yes. I don't regret going to university. Mm -hmm. However, now reflecting back, I it just wasn't even in my psyche that college would be an option or a trade would be an option. Yes. Um, so certainly in the alcohol context, if you grew up in a culture that was really alcohol focused and certainly getting into university was very alcohol focused, you just don't question it. And so I think these midlife years or, you know, this, this individual spoke about their children leaving the house. It's a real invitation to start to look at the different choices that you make every day and think, was this my choice or was this a choice that was given to me or yes. a setting that was given to me and start to think of it like little dials, right? So like the temperature or the thermometer in your house that you have the opportunity to turn it up, depending on how you're feeling, turn it down, depending on how you're feeling, you know, sit at 23 degrees Celsius and think, oh, am I comfortable at 23 degrees or could I use a little more heat or a little bit more air conditioning, right? That's a bit of a, a simple way to look at it. But, you know, if you could start to get curious about all these decisions that you make on a day-to-day -day basis from the type of cereal you eat to the, um, you know, to the friends that you're surrounded by, to the career that you've chosen and start to think, are these, are these settings that were given to me and that I've adopted or were these ones that I decided on my own and some of them might work for you and that's totally fine but some of them you might acknowledge are just not working for you right? yes and so yeah. alcohol is a perfect space to experiment with that and say okay for many many years I accepted that this is the setting of my life that I drink every day or that I go for sangria with my girlfriends on the weekends um, and now it's an opportunity to get really curious and playful about trying different things and seeing how it works for you. So that's kind of how I approach it is, is taking, taking a look at all the decisions and, and things that you've adopted as, as settings in your life and decide, are these my settings or are these somebody else's settings? And which yes. ones do I want to start getting curious about and playing with? I love it. I love the visual of a dial too, mm. because there's something to me. So there's something I'm, I'm already like going off the trail here. So <laughs> sorry, but there's something to me <laughs> that is so incredibly interesting and fascinating and scary and wonderful of, man, I don't know what's coming next, but like, I have more control than I thought. Yeah. Um, and then recognizing this idea of the dials, recognizing this idea of the programs or however you want to say it, that like, mm -hmm. there are ways that we view our world ourselves, our family, you know, what it means to live a life. Like there are ways that we view these things that are yeah. through certain settings, through certain lenses. And that like, we actually have a choice for those lenses that we actually can make a choice, I think is so incredible. And that's what I love about this concept of like life by design is that what you're talking about is like actually finding those places where you have control, finding those places yeah. where you have dials that you didn't even know existed. You weren't yeah. aware. Well, you've and never questioned sudden, it. You've never looked at it. Yes. Yeah. It's so intriguing and amazing to me. And like for so many people, I see alcohol as almost being this like jumping off point for asking these questions, like a jumping yeah. off point for, yeah, for, for figuring this stuff out. And yeah. I don't know, like I could go on and on, but no, all this for sure. to say, like, well, for me, it was the, like, I used the word portal. It was this mm -hmm. portal to start yes. a question and change my relationship to alcohol 
it was not the finish line for me. It was mm -hmm. the portal into the, you know, if you imagine a video game, if you're really into video games, it's, it's like getting to the next level of life where you're like, yeah. oh my God, there's a whole other world out here. That's an option. You know, I, I don't have children. Uh, it's actually a decision that apparently I made in my grade seven autobiography that I didn't want children. So I knew wow. very early. That's uh, impressive. Yeah. But uh, I imagine that once your children move out of the house and are off to school or off to, to choose their own lives, that it leaves you, it leaves you with this whole void because all of your decisions for the past 18 odd years have been centered around those children. Yes. And so now you're into this space of like literally a blank canvas where you have the opportunity to paint it, right? It's yeah. literally a white canvas. And for me, alcohol was that turning point for me. I didn't have kids moving out of the house, but changing my relationship to alcohol created this whole white canvas that I now had the opportunity to question every single color, every single brush choice, every single dial that I wanted to influence on that painting. And uh, I mean, it's, it, you use the word, it's scary, it's fear, mm -hmm. you know, we're full of fear. Um, and for me, alcohol, and when I start even still have thoughts about alcohol, which I do, um, for me, it's my nervous system trying to come back to safety or the safety that I taught it yeah. so many years. And a per okay, here's a perfect example, and I wanted to share this story. So a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, I was involved in a car accident, very minor. Oh. I was rear-ended, and um, it was so interesting that when I got home and sat on my couch, I experienced a craving that I had not felt in wow. months, if not yeah. years, and it was so intense, and. I luckily through all this work, I came out of it quite quickly, but it was, I, I mean, it, it was fascinating how my brain just went right to my, what it knew as emotional safety, which was go to the liquor store and get yourself a bottle of wine. Yeah. And, you know, so I think this is all to say that, you know, we've trained our nervous system to keep us in the safety, in the safe zone. And for a lot of us, alcohol was that way to keep us safe, to keep us from those heavy emotions and that the the fear of what could happen. Um, and so when you take alcohol away, it's really, I mean, it's a brave new world out there. And that's my, the name of my business is From Your Wild. And if you've read Glennon Doyle, you know, so I won't explain it, but, or just read <laughs> Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Um, but it's this idea for years that alcohol has really suppressed a lot of the, yes. the natural, beautiful, wild elements of ourselves. And so when you take alcohol away, it really is that portal into the, into the possible, that space that only existed when we were kids before we, you know, understood what alcohol was and, and shame and judgment and blame and all those things that we lived so many years with. Oh, that's so good. That's so amazing. All right. I could nerd out on this forever, but I will oh, not do yeah. it. So let's go to question number three. Uh, here we go. What do you do when you both hate drinking and want to keep drinking? I feel like I've been in this spot off and on for decades. I'm 54 now, and I am not sure how to handle it. It almost feels like I'm motivated to change every few months. I try it, then it doesn't work out. But then I tend to forget that I wanted to change in the first place and just go back to my old ways. Yeah. This is a continuing cycle. I have two questions. First, why the hell do I do this? And second, what the hell can I do about it? 
Uh, again, I, I feel like you've taken all my questions that I sent through to Annie during my Well, journey. I can vouch that that is absolutely not the case here, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, no, super, super familiar. And I, um, I mean, Scott would probably be better at explaining this, but fundamentally, you know, what we're talking about here is cognitive dissonance, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's the fight, the argument between your subconscious brain and your conscious brain. And so, you know, the prefrontal cortex, uh, the conscious brain is really trying to make better choices for your life. And it knows intellectually how destructive alcohol is. It knows all the facts. It's read Annie's book. Uh, you know, it's done all the programs, but we still have this subconscious brain, which is, you know, still holds on to these beliefs that there's that alcohol is serving you in some way. And so, you know, it's like the, the dark side and the light side having a debate constantly. And, yeah. you know, what I can offer you on that is, first of all, so normal, so, so normal in the sense that this is something that so many of us have experienced. And, you know, until we do the work on the subconscious beliefs, until we really shine the light into that subconscious brain and the, and the beliefs and the thoughts that are um, underpinning and, and creating that kind of chaos in our brain, um, you know, we're, we're still operating in the space of willpower. And so, yeah. um, you know, again, it's a journey. It's a, it's a really messy journey. And, you know, I would say I'd also applaud you for having that, that awareness, right? Yes. To know yeah. that these two brains are existing and it's very difficult, or I found it very difficult for a very long time to depersonalize that, that conflict. And so, um, you know, my emotions were getting carried away. My sense of identity was getting carried away. The, the amount of judgment that I applied to myself in those situations where, you know, I was off to the liquor store when I told myself that morning that I wouldn't drink. And here I am at the liquor store buying my wine again mm. and feeling all the shame and judgment for it uh, and promising myself again tomorrow that it's going to be different. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, it's, but you can get through it. You know, and I, yeah, I know you can yeah. get well, through it. I think that's, yeah. You know, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, but yeah. why the hell do I do this and what the hell can I do to, about it? Um, you know, it sounds like I'm hearing a little judgment there. And mm -hmm. like, I, I think like one of the things I want to point out is that I have never known anyone that has ever gone through this journey that hasn't been at this point, Absolutely. right? Like, and this is what happens, right? This is literally, we talk about this in the past. So I'm not going to go too crazy with the science, but like literally our brains become convinced that we need alcohol to survive. And yeah. so when we stop, you know, this is like, try to stop breathing. Right. What's going to happen? Your body's going to like react badly to that choice. Um, it is a very similar mechanism that happens with alcohol, especially when we're on the alcohol use disorder spectrum. And so mm -hmm. this idea that like we should just be able to decide, no, I I totally agree, Lisa, like we can read all we want and we can yeah. like, you know, we can get you know, we can get connected with facts and we can try to scare ourselves, but unless we deal with that cognitive dissonance, unless we deal with that part of us that is very much like still wanting to drink, even though we have all the logical reasons, yeah. it's going to feel like this. I have a thing that I talk about that describes this, that I, I, you know, it's from my own journey, but I've talked to a lot of people about it and they feel the same way. I feel like it's windows, right? This is what mm. I call windows in the sense that like, you know, we'll, and a lot of different things can kick this off. We can have a particularly bad night, 
we can have a particularly good night, but then realize we drank too much or and get surprised. Or we could have some sort of event or something happen in our life. Or we could just happen to be talking to someone like Coach Lisa and like be thinking through like, oh, maybe I should change. Whatever it is, yeah. there's generally an event that opens the window. And when I say opens the window, I mean like, oh, there is, I can, I can go through this window. I really should have called it a door instead because no one goes through windows, but like <laughs> I can go through this window. I can change and we get motivated and we feel good about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, even those things in the past that were bad, like we start to have a little bit of a different perspective where we start to look forward a little bit more. We start to say, Hey, I can do things differently. Um, and then maybe we do try to quit or maybe we do try to do something. Um, and it doesn't work out or, what we do is we're like, all right, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to say, I'll do it later. Right. Or um, we just have this happy feeling and we kind of forget about it. The problem. And the reason I use the window analogy is that that window only opens certain times and then it's closed. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things for me, particularly around this idea of like, you know, what did she say? I, I try to change every few months and it doesn't work. And I think the thing for me that was really key to that I realized on my own journey is I have no idea when that window is going to open. Right. Right. So like I would have, I, there were, there were times when I was trying to quit every week. Um, but then over time I'm like, nope, like this isn't working. And so that window would stay closed for a very long time. So I'm right. explaining all of this and using this analogy just to let this person know, like, this is normal. This is yeah. totally, totally normal, totally normal. Um, and you know, why the hell do I do this? I think Lisa, you explained it very well. Like it is cognitive dissonance. This is literally like, if you listen to Annie, tell her story or me talk about my story, like on masterclass, you will hear this crossroads idea very often. Like I want to stop and I don't want to stop. Yeah. Or you, you know, people talk about it all the time as like a tug of war or anything like that. So all of that noise, all of that stuff, and I wish this wasn't the case, but it's totally normal. Like people live there for, for a long time. And Absolutely. what can you do about it? I mean, writing this in is part of it. Reaching out yeah. to a coach like Coach Lisa is part of it. Joining one of this Naked Minds programs are part of it. Or just watching YouTube videos about it. Just reading, you know, this Naked Mind or many other books that are out there, right? One thing that, um, and I think you kind of said this before, I, I find that 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 people expect to just like, take one step and then another step and then they're there. Um, and I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for all of the work it takes us to like make those steps and make those changes. So literally even listening to this podcast counts. Absolutely. Literally going to, you know, going and joining our app and like looking at some of the free content in there counts. Like yeah. every little thing counts. So what can I do about it? Like, I want to tell you, you're doing something about it. You're aware, right? And you will ultimately find your way. But man, I, I felt this. Well, this is why I grabbed this question because like I felt it so strongly because like I'd been there for so long. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, my, my brain is firing in so many directions here. <laughs> A, because I relate to this so much. B, I, again, not to let, <laughs> hit, the, hit the design nail on the hammer, the hammer anyways, you know, the analogy. Um, I think with the beauty of design thinking it's also learning to get comfortable with what we call failure and i think we're taught in so many different contexts that if you just put your mind to it and you stick it through that 
you you will come to the end and everything again will be beautiful and rainbows and butterflies. Yeah. Um, but with the design thinking process, like how many iPhones have come out <laughs> since iPhones were invented, right? We're on yes. what? 473 now? <laughs> I, don't, I actually went to answer that question and then I questioned myself because I don't remember. And I'm a like Apple nerd too. But yeah, I'm yeah. not even an Apple person. But <laughs> you know, the point there being that we're constantly, we should constantly be at at the design drawing board of our lives. And we expect that we're supposed to have our lives all figured out all the time without putting in the work. But if you apply that design thinking approach to your life, then you're always a work in progress. And how can we start to fall in love with the journey and the process instead of always fall, trying to fall in love with the result that mm -hmm. once, once we're alcohol free, once we've lost 50 pounds, once, you know, we've yeah. bought that house, yeah. that that's the, that's Mecca, right? But that's not Mecca. Mecca is in the journey and in the process. And if we can start to fall in love with the process, then we start to put down those weapons of judgment and blame and shame that typifies um, this journey of becoming alcohol free or finding freedom from alcohol, which I think there's a slight nuance between those two. I agree. Uh, the other relationship I'd like to point out that a lot of us, a lot of the journeys that a lot of us have been on is this, this process around weight loss, right? And we're mm. sold. There's a lot of similarities for me in these two processes. Um, and there's this great book by a woman named Jenna Hollenstein called Eat to Love. Um, so if you're interested in that space, she kind of takes a Buddhist philosophy to the whole diet culture. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, but one of, the, one of the things she talks about is this this idea we're sold of magical eating, right? That mm -hmm. only if we eat a certain way and between certain hours and certain macro levels, yeah. and if we follow this influencer, that we too will achieve this life that, you know, is ready for Instagram. <laughs> you know? But um, what you actually find, or the joy that I found um, in this kind of midlife phase for myself is it's, it's joy in the journey. And yes, and giving myself so much grace that the, the definition of failure that we apply to ourselves is often inherited definitions of failure. And they're not, they're not metrics that we've given to ourselves, right? So how do you know you're joyful? How do you know you're present? How do you know you're living a life of quality and worth? And whose, whose metrics have you adopted um, along the way that tell you that sobriety 100% is the only metric, right? Right, or, yeah. Um, you know, that a certain level of income is the only metric to success. Who's given you those, those ideas? And what dials do you want to start turning to start to build your own metrics and your own, your own definitions of what success looks like? Um, and it's, it's a journey, you know, and I, that sounds really well-trodden that, that language, but it really is. And well, it's well-trodden for a journey, reason, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Let's get on to our last question. It is right. the curveball question. Are you ready? Here we go. Coach Lisa, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? I will repeat the question. Are those my only two options? Those are your only two options. You have to fight. Would you rather, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Well, I'm a lover, not a fighter, Scott. Oh. But uh, if this was all that was in my way between me and my morning coffee, mm, there you um, go. I would say a horse-sized duck. 
Wow. Yeah. Brave. Yeah, I feel like I would go the other way, but it's good to anyway. be focused. You know, it's good to yeah. know your one, your one big domino. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, my one big domino is, is my one big stuff. domino. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you for being a good sport on that. I that's like pleasure. never tell you guys these questions before. Where do you, you come up with these fun. questions anyway? I can't reveal my sources, but um, <laughs> anyway, well, coach Lisa, thank you so much. It's this was really, uh, this was really fun. Where can people go to find out more about you and, and how they can work with you? Awesome. Yeah. You can start on Instagram at from your wild or head over to my website at fromyourwild.ca. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And to those of you listening, thank you for being here. I hope you enjoyed this and I will be back again soon with another episode of coaching questions. Take care. Thanks Scott. We are so excited to announce our newly recalibrated signature program, the Path Freedom Accelerated. This 90-day program is designed to make freedom from alcohol quicker, more accessible, and more affordable than ever before. Imagine if just 90 days from now you discover a new freedom without feeling like you're hanging on to willpower by your fingernails, without feeling deprived or like you're missing out, and without the shame, guilt, and blame. The Path Freedom Accelerated provides a guided, almost hypnotic sequence of content that speaks not only to your conscious mind, but also to your subconscious, actually changing your desire for a drink. Plus, you will receive daily accountability and support from our coaches and our community. If you feel like you have lost control of your drinking, there is a solution. One that's easier than you might think and doesn't involve rules, missing out, or deprivation. We would love for you to join us. Go to nakedmindpath.com to learn more. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.